I'm sorry, I'm normally very good at keeping up with things, but you lost me quite early on. It all started out as a mild curiosity in the junkyard. And now, it's the Doctor Who podcast. Doctor Who podcast episode 329 with our review of Doctor Who Flux part 3 once upon time written by Chris Chibnall and directed by Azura Salim and since the rest of the group is too smart to leave me alone in the camper van I am joined by my two chaperones for this episode hello James hello Brent (laughs) hello Drew hello Brent hello everybody all right let's jump right into this uh the episode has just aired we have watched it there is a lot to talk about there's a lot to bounce off of but first let's just take a step back and i want to know with three episodes in we are halfway through flux are you enjoying the series so far brent uh yeah absolutely halfway through and this is by far the best chibnall season we've had uh the first one was really slow and boring the second one was a little better this is just out of the park and i think it speaks to uh his uh series writing rather than episode writing like he, he's really good at long form storytelling i think I, i'm really enjoying the season a lot excited to be watching doctor who again <laughs> <laughs> james how about you yeah um difficult to answer concisely um I'm finding it more interesting than the previous two seasons for sure. And I, I would say I'm more intrigued by Flux than I've been by any other storyline that Chibnall has, has come up with or indeed that I've seen the 13th Doctor in. But it's difficult to give you a definitive answer halfway through the series. I, I need to see how this finishes and I need to understand how I feel before I can say I'm really enjoying this or I think it's it's good. Chibnall is the absolute master of the anti-climax. Um, I, I like the journey going up the hill at the moment. And to use a, a friend's expression, it all very much depends on how he sticks the landing. Sure. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, narrative roller coasters, even if I don't like uh, physical roller coasters. Um, and we have basically you know, taken that first turn around the roller coaster. We've gone up to the top of the hill. We're halfway point, and we're about to get that momentum, I think, before we do the double loop-de-loop, uh, uh, and I start screaming and vomiting. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and just say initially, I am really digging this because... Up until this point, I was sort of lost, and I was enjoying being lost because for the first time, rather than Chibnall screaming at the top of his lungs telling us what we, the audience, should be thinking, feeling, and uh, knowing, we're we're kind of thinking for ourselves, and I like it. I feel like there's this puzzle piece. This is sort of, again, we have to stick the landing, but there's that aspect that I really enjoyed of Moffat storytelling where I wanted to know what was happening next but I actually feel like we haven't been all the puzzle pieces haven't been parsed out yet but I'm enjoying trying to jam the pieces together in weird shapes to see what comes out and I Mm. think 
I think I have a, a kind of a good idea of where the story is going, which is nice uh, because I thought I knew what I was was doing after two episodes, and I've just been given a curveball, and I'm really enjoying that. I'm, I, I feel like I'm not being pandered to, uh, and I feel like I'm, yeah, I, I'm kind of liking this. Um, Once Upon Time, third episode, halfway through, uh, we've been given a lot of really interesting information some i'm glad brent that you say you're enjoying this because i feel like this episode has done has confirmed something that i didn't think you were going to like at all um (laughs) yeah um but it also offered you an alternative answer to the thing that you didn't like and and that is and i just want to start this off right now i was not expecting to see joe martin's doctor um and i got really excited about it uh, and Brent, I know that you are not a fan of the kind of how the last season ended with the Timeless Children. How do you feel now that we've kind of been given some uh, verification that the master was not lying? Well, uh, there's a thing called radical acceptance <laughs> where you just kind of, well, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. Just roll with it. Um, I thought it was really well done this week, and like it's like the first week, there were a lot of strands, uh, a lot of um, a lot of fuses lit in the first episode, and in the second one, it was more contained as as one episode, and then this mm-hmm. one had even more questions. Yes, uh, yeah, and lots of surprises, lots of surprises in this one. The fugitive doctor, like you said, we had Daleks, we had Cybermen, we had. Uh, a new character called Bell that I really liked, and just a lot of lot of stuff going on in here that uh, is new. Yeah, it does almost seem like next week we are going to get a more contained story. So maybe we go a uh, bunch of stuff scatter shot contained, scatter shot contained. Who knows? But again, that's sort of where we're going. Um, James, what do you think about this revelation that the the Joe Martin Doctor isn't just something that the Master had said to justify? killing children <laughs> <laughs> I, I never thought she was uh, a lie um, and, and I thought uh, Brent's um, theory uh, wasn't so much of a theory really it was more of a, a personal hope on his part uh, <laughs> given the fact that he didn't like uh, the way that the last season ended um, so you know I, I'd gone through that acceptance thing um, that, uh, that that Brent mentioned already but it doesn't mean that I am particularly keen on the whole idea um, but uh, I, I'm glad that the timeless child or the timeless child strands is being addressed. Um, and it's clear, whether or not we like it or not, it's clear that Chibnall knows what he's doing with it. How about a counterpoint? Uh, what if the timeless children exists in this universe, but this universe is in fact dying and maybe wiped out entirely to give us a completely different universe, thus making the yeah. p- your proclamation? You, you're How do you feel about, about that? You're talking about a big, large red button, aren't you? Uh, mm. <laughs> a shiny, candy-like yes. button. Yes, and a, a, as a certain tenth doctor once said, "How can you, how can you resist pushing it uh, when it's presented to you?" Um, yeah, I, he he might be trying to rewrite absolutely everything, and and to an extent, I have to be completely honest. I just don't care um, because the whole thing for me is inconsequential and that was the word that I used to describe the storyline at the end of last season it doesn't really impact the way I think about Doctor Who uh, or or the in-world universe or the story that's being spun 
and um, after today's episode, uh, then I, I still feel exactly the same. I think I have a vague idea of what was going on after my initial reaction, which was I have no idea what was going on. Um, I, and I was looking at my watch throughout the entire episode thinking at some point they've got to at least attempt to come up with an explanation for what's happening. And uh, I, I would guess just over the halfway point, I realized that there were multiple universes and characters being hidden inside their own timelines and a doctor being caught up in a time storm or something along those lines. Fine, I got that. Basically, time is in flux. Everything's up for rewriting and um, you just don't know where it's going to go. Uh, I, I just felt the whole thing f was very, very confused. Um, and all I can really rely upon is, is my experience and, my, and, and what I felt watching it. And that was that I didn't really care. Um, it is just an initial view. We'll have to see how things go. And as I said right at the beginning, I do want to see how this ends. Sure. So, you know, but for, for the time being, I'm, I'm right down again after really quite enjoying the last couple of episodes. Uh, by, by far and away, the episode I've enjoyed the least so far this, this time around. And um, despite absolutely everything being thrown at it, including the Fugitive Doctor, Angels, Daleks, you know, uh, I, I, I honestly, honestly don't know what to make of it. And considering I think I said, Drew, just before we started recording, I honestly don't know what to say about this episode. I think I've done pretty well for the last couple of minutes. <laughs> So let's take a look then at what we do know, all right? So given that everything that we know may or may not be a lie, let's take a look at some of the revelations that we have gotten in this episode specifically. Uh, Brent, you've already alluded to the fact that we have been introduced to another character. This, let's talk about, the, well, let's first talk about the just the title of this, Once Upon Time. Um, time clearly is the planet time, Atropos, right? Everything hinges on what has happened in the past, is happening into the future, and in the present on this planet. That seems to be a little unclear. And I, I think what we're looking at is the kind of crux of flux is going to happen on Atropos. So I say push that to a side because that clearly is going to be changing. If we go just by Swarm's face, this is the third makeup we have seen for Swarm uh, already that center of the, you know, we're, we're dealing with Yates, right? Like uh, the center cannot hold. It's constantly in flux, uh, another term that they like to use. Um, so let's talk about the things that we do know. We have a new character. Her name is Belle. Uh, this is Belle's story, Once Upon Time, clearly a fairy tale-like character. Belle is sort of a fairy tale-like character. If, for instance, Joss Whedon was writing the fairy tale, um, so what are your initial thoughts on Belle? Brent, you said you liked her. Um, why? Mm -hmm. Um, she reminded me a bit of Ace, actually. Yes, she did. Yeah. And, uh, so that hit me right off the bat. I was really intrigued. Like, this entire episode, I really had to stay focused, uh, to, to keep up with everything that was going on. But it kept me gripped. Like, the right. entire episode, I was gripped, like, the whole time. So to me, that's a good episode when you're not looking to see, uh, how much is left. Except for, you know, getting ready to record with you guys. Um, and, 
Um, just the uh, trying to figure out who she was and who she was clearly uh, in love with and trying to get back to. And it made you think, okay, is this going to be somebody we know? I'm sure it is. Of course, we find out later it's Vendor. Um, she just um, seemed like she had a lot of potential. And the little the little device that she carried around, what was it called? A, a Tacme or something? Tamagotchi, almost. <laughs> I couldn't understand it, so my brain went to, oh, little smiling face on a screen, Tamagotchi, exactly, James. I thought the exact same thing, and that's what I actually wrote in my notes. Um I don't I know if that it. is the name of the device or the name uh, the name that Bell has for their unborn child because it's clearly uh, a well, heart monitor for it could for, be, the, yeah. for the child you know that idea. Oh, that uh, is yeah, that's right. I, and I thought it was tack me like T A C H like tachycardia, Graham. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Like yeah, it yeah. has it, to do it, with it the was. heart. I mean, did you have those kind of things? You know, even 10, 15 years or so ago, then kids, you, you kind of were given it was like a virtual egg, as it was called. Oh yeah, Remember absolutely. You, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's exactly what I thought of it. And I, again, I don't know whether or not this translates across the pond, but Tamagotchi was the kind of formal name, if you like, for that, mm-hmm. that toy. But there was another one as well, and I can't remember what it is, but it was much less, um, much less complicated. But, uh, but sure. essentially, as soon as, as soon as I saw that, I thought she's pregnant. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of got that too. And actually, that reminded me a little bit of Ace as well. It, it feels like Ace from the new Adventure series, right, where she's kind of like roaming free. Um, I thought, well, this would be interesting. Um, what if it, if it's an incarnation of the Doctor or, you know, it could have been anything. Um, mm. But I dug her. I like. I really felt like even though it was such a step sideways from the actual story, I found myself engaged. She barely says anything. I think the actress, again, this is moments after it ended, so like I haven't gotten a chance to look up anyone's <laughs> names. Um, so uh, I really enjoyed her, and, I, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Now it also gives us a storyline to root for, right? So like we have this will they, won't they get back together. Um, we're kind of getting that with Dan and Diane. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah. James, what did you think of Belle? Not remotely interested. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, okay. I'm sorry. No, it's good. Uh, it's good. I I, I know. Uh, I know. Uh, not to address you anymore. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. I, no. I, I I I thought. Um. You know, it's as interesting as any of Chibnall's character strands are. You know, he's good at writing character dialogue. You know, he, he's very good at creating genuine investment in in characters. I don't like the use of. Um, a character speaking to themselves and it coming across as a voiceover. I, I, and Chibnall's done that loads of times. Um, and, and again, even even the Doctor was doing that at the beginning of the episode as well. And uh, but again, I've, I've I'm intrigued by the characters. I'm intrigued by all of these little creations of Chibnall's, but they never for me go anywhere. Um, I, I know exactly what you mean by the Ace and New Adventures vibe. I'd actually thought the whole episode reminded me of the Virgin Range, not about Ace specifically, but I, I, I was a big fan of the Virgin New Adventure world and universe. Uh, some books and stories were, were far better than others, but I, I liked being reminded of it. But, you know, there wasn't a single thing about this episode that really gripped me, I have to say, apart from the ending where it felt as though we had reached an ending. Um, and even though clearly it's got implications for the whole of the miniseries, um, it still feels like we're now leaving this kind of storytelling technique behind. And next week feels like, you know, it's going to be a different kind of, of, of story. Um, so it kind of makes it feel like a little bit in the past as well. I... Yeah, I, 
as I said, I, I can't keep, I can't keep, um, I feel like I've been sent back in time by um, <laughs> by the Weeping Angels is, is, is because I don't know how this is going to end until I've gone through the story. And by the, by the time I'm through the story, I'll probably want to go back to the beginning and start again. So that, that's probably a good outcome. Sure. I mean, but that's the thing, too. None of us know how this is going to end. And so all we can really do is judge what we've got going on so far. So let's take an, uh, another note. Um and that is the Doctor and the Mori are somehow connected. Um, yes, again, a little bit like the Virgin New Adventures, right? Time's champion. There, there's definitely a there's an overelping uh, evil in the t- end of the universe. Now we know that there is a war between time and space. No idea what that means. I'm going to need some more clarification on that. Clearly, hmm. they're not. I don't know if there's much more we can parse from the episode than there is a war between time and space. Someone has released the flux. But um, how are you feeling about the Mori, Brent? Um, you know, is this something that you're gelling with or no? I'm not. still not really sure what's going on with them. Yeah. Um, it, it's still a bit uh, confusing to me. I, I know that she was using the, um, the Time Storm to hide all three companions mm-hmm. uh, in their own time streams to keep them safe. And that the Mari had some kind of uh, control over that, but uh, as far as that, I don't really know who they are. And and are the Mori possibly these uh, Anforans that we saw with the Grand Serpent? Because they sort of look the same with the gold faces. The gold faces. I mean, it's entirely possible. I think what my hope is that the information that we're being given that doesn't seem like it's fitting will, as the story progresses, seem to fit more. But I'm an optimist. Uh, James, how about you? <laughs> well, am I an optimist? <laughs> no, we know you're not an optimist, but I'm saying, what do you think about the whole time and space and Mori thing? I, I didn't really understand it, which is is, is, a, is is probably terrible to come onto a podcast and try and review something but uh, and just say, I'm sorry, I didn't get it. I need to see it again. I'm not sure who is what. Um, I, I, I think we're talking about the, um, I mean, the Grand Serpent. Um, this, this is Craig Parkinson's character, so Vinder's boss in one particular. Yeah, he's um, a sleazy scene. politician. Yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I, I don't know is the answer. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I will say this about the Mori and about hiding the friends in their own timelines. One of the things that I thought they did quite well with this is that we had an analog to what was happening to the friends why you know why suddenly the actors were finding themselves in different places with the doctor and the joe martin fugitive doctor switching places because we understand that the doctor has a a complicated timeline using the switch between joe martin and jodie whittaker i felt gave me a better understanding of what was happening to dan and yaz and vinder um i mean you know dan the, the the actor we're seeing is clearly not Dan. He's playing Carvanista. Um, you know, we see the axe. So that seems like maybe there's a connection between that character and Joe Martin's doctor. So maybe Atropos is the anchor that's kind of spreading out all those places. Yeah. But I thought that was kind of interestingly put. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It is interesting, and that, I still want to know how it resolves. But I wonder whether or not actually it's the Doctor at the root of all of this. And I think perhaps we're you know, we're at the midpoint of flux at the moment. I would say this was the the height of my confusion. Anyway, um, you know, it, it doesn't it it's not clear at all what's going on. 
the one thing that we did learn towards the end is that the flux is directly linked to the doctor and the doctor's past in some way and that was something mm-hmm. that people were speculating about pre-flux or certainly after episode one of flux um so that that's confirmed so i would suggest that the fact that the doctor was essentially for, for once actually voicing my thoughts during this episode you know what is going on she said a lot of the time um which is exactly what i was saying um i have a feeling that this will completely turn around at the end and actually it will be the doctor and possibly even the doctor created the flux for a particular purpose you know that's very chibnall-esque very circular um and it, it it just it kind of feels as though there are lots of little touch points here that are linked throughout. Obviously, the road in which Dan lives is is linked. Uh, the tunnels in Liverpool are fundamental to the overall story as well. And it, it's all going to be brought together by a single linchpin, I think. And I think that will be the Doctor's past because, I mean, what better way is, is there for Chibnall to virtually sign off on other than what you suggested earlier and turn absolutely everything on his head as he leaves through the exit, Don? Sure. This definitely makes it feel, it feels as an audience member that time is wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, but from a narrative and writing standpoint, it feels like they might be setting it up as time as a flat circle, right? Like, so when you're writing a time travel story, you do need that linchpin. Um, I think the payoff always works that, that you get a time paradox where the thing that causes you to travel back in time is the thing that you created to stop yourself from traveling back in time, and it just goes and goes ad nauseum which works sometimes uh certainly mm-hmm. um but again you know we we lived through how many years of moffat's timey wiminess and so as viewers i think it kind of has changed the way our brains work when viewing a time traveling show but i mm-hmm. think we are more adept at understanding what's going on my main concern with this because i'm i'm loving the ride my main concern is the casual viewer is even more confused than James is. And I'm worried that yeah. that's going to turn them off, whereas it's definitely getting me excited. Um, I'm afraid that it, it could be one of those things where... And and unlike previous seasons of the show, where I felt that um, the show is kind of up its own history a little too much, uh, this is... It's just kind of going all over there. But with the mm. Marvel Cinematic Universe taking on time travel and multiple dimensions and, and mirror universes and the such, maybe this is just kind of the the, the zeitgeist for media. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm sure the kids out there are like, I know exactly what's going on here. Well, I don't think I doubt it. <laughs> I'll be I, will Brent- s- I will tell you, my wife has been watching Doctor Who with me um, uh she says it's it's a good sacrifice uh, to the marriage is watching Doctor Who with me every week. Um, but she watched episode one this year and she said, you know what? I am done for a while. Let sure. me know what let me know when Russell T. Davis comes back and a new doctor. And I'm like, she's she's uh, she's not been on board with the whole Chibnall thing. She stuck through it. But then that first episode confused her so much. She's like, I, I got to go. I'm, right. I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I, I think, you know, what you what you said, or at least hinted at, Drew, was, was spot on. This is inaccessible. It's inaccessible to pretty much anyone other than someone who's prepared to watch it again and again and again and study it like a piece of academic text so that you've got all of the storylines in one 
in one place because it's it's not something you can process in one go and think that's great i'll come back and see how it all ends next week you know i the, the real question for me is is the desire there to go back and understand it now sometimes i watch stuff and i have conversations with my wife <laughs> You know, that I don't understand. I'll be completely honest. I have no idea what goes on either in some TV programs that I watch or in my wife's head. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't enjoy the experience of trying to figure out um, what's going on. On on this occasion, I didn't. I didn't sure. really have any desire to go back and think, I'm going to go and figure this out. In fact, I the whole prospect of sitting through that again feels more like homework than something that I actually want to invest time in. Um I probably will do it anyway, but I, I would much rather have cared about it a bit more. I'm going to be honest. I'm probably not going to rewatch any of these episodes until the entire season is done. Mm. But if I like episode six and I like how it kind of ties together, I am very much excited to rewatch all of it in one sitting, which I think will be the more enjoyable aspect is being able to just kind of plow through six episodes. I know that's like six hours of, of TV watching, but I mean, <laughs> we binge watch so much television. This feels like will be more enjoyable to general audiences once it's all out there and you can get it all access to it streaming. So let's talk about a couple of things. Uh, the first off is um, the strange blue fuzzy uh, smoke monster that is eating people. Um, I have a complete theory. I, I think I know exactly what this is, but do either one of you want to make a, 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 a thought about what that is? I don't yes. think it. I don't think it disintegrates people. I think it takes them somewhere else. But it was. Agreed. It was like a blue swarm of mites, is what they called them. Wait, gee, describe that again. Those two words that you you use to describe it. Blue swarm. Yes. yes. Hey, who are two main bad guys? Why <laughs> it's swarm and azure. What does azure mean? It means blue, right? So I. It just seems kind of like they're just putting that out in there in front of you. <laughs> I also agree that every time we see them um, disintegrate people, I I don't know if we're they're going away or they're doing what the the weeping angels do, which is just time displacement. Uh, but again. No proof of that. James, uh, your thoughts on our, our blue swarm of mite, mites slash particles? Exactly the same as yours. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> uh, at the end of the episode, the doctor meets a, a, a strange old woman who seems to be working on something. And the camera would not pull out to show us what is she is working on, but she had what looked like a giant thumbtack. Uh, any ideas on who this character may very well be? I don't know, but the actress looked very familiar to me. Barbara I haven't Flynn. got a chance to, to go back. Was it? Barbara Flynn. Uh, again, I, I, she crops up everywhere and has done for a very mm. long time, but I couldn't tell you anything specific that she's been in. <laughs> well, as any American can tell you, we, as far as we're concerned, there are only 20 actors in the UK because they're in everything. <laughs> um, yeah, I, my first thought was, is it Tech Tayun, a version of Tech Tayun, you know, the doctor's That's what I unquote, thought, yeah. mother? But again... Uh, we're not given anything else, but if we are going to be going looking at the doctor's um, history, then it looks like something maybe division related. Uh, the division keep on getting mentioned, and I'm kind of excited about that. 
because even though I don't necessarily love the idea of the story, I do like the idea that they're not going to push it aside like the um, Paradigm Daleks and just go, you know what, that was a mistake. So like you, James, I think it would be nice to explore that, and I think Chibnall may very well be doing that. Um, Let's see here. I guess if we're going to wrap up, let's talk a little bit about the ending. We are getting our proper cliffhangers back. Um, We are getting a direct callback to Blink, because remember that famous line, the angels have the phone box. I have it on a T-shirt. That is a direct quote from Blink, but I also do have it on a T-shirt. The angels are in charge of the TARDIS. Uh, So my question to you, gentlemen, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think it's just a plot device to get us to their place uh, for next week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's the obvious thing, isn't it? But um, it it, it just depends. Angels uh, were fantastic um, in in the first three episodes in which they appeared. And since then, it's been diminishing returns. Um, So we'll see. We'll see. Agreed. I am going to echo the thing that I said uh, in my first review is I think the angels are working on the side of the doctor. Mm, um, uh, I think they the, the power to displace individuals and feed off their energy is going to be key to solving a problem. So I think they're not just going to be brought back because they're popular characters and they needed a ratings boost. I think that ability to send people back in time, which was used so well in Blink, again, amazing episode, uh, that I think we're going to see that again. All right, well, uh, that is just about it for our discussion on Once Upon Time. Just a couple of things I want to do before we take our leave. Um, I just want to acknowledge the passing of Petra Mayer, who was a past guest on Who and Company. She was the editor for NPR Books. Uh, she was an enthusiastic Doctor Who fan. Uh, she passed away yesterday as the time of recording, and she will be sorely missed. Um, we would love for you to give us your thoughts on today's episodes. Uh, what do we get right? What do we get wrong? What are your thoughts and feelings? Uh, also, what are questions that you might have for our Flux correspondents, Leeson and JNT, who will be answering those questions in our 329B edition that's coming out later this week? I'm going to start with one. Uh, JNT, if Chibnall were to bring back any bad knees from all of Doctor Who history as a surprise for the Flux finale, because uh, we're dealing with all of time and space, clearly, versus uh, which one would you most want to see? So if you feel like you have a better question than that, you can send them along uh, to the follows. You can get us on email at feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com, Twitter at the DR Who Podcast. Uh, you can find us on our Facebook group at the Doctor Who Podcast Facebook page. Uh, and unless... Uh, We are unraveling time in such a way that this episode will be appearing before the first two episodes. Well, thank you, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Bye, everybody. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Take care.